Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey Greasters, I hope you're having an okay week. The sun is shining today, which makes an improvement from the constant rain that we've had. I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody who took part in the um, Father's Day support group that we had on Twitter on Sunday. Everyone using the hashtag you are not alone and the hashtag DDC and just everyone was so supportive and so wonderful and it really did make the day ever so slightly easier to know that there was other people feeling like, oh God, because I don't know about you guys, but I thought this was one of the worst years ever. Social media was just absolutely full of it and the emails I was getting yeah so um i think we can relax now <laughs> we've got mother's day and father's day out of the way obviously we still have birthdays and anniversaries and everything else and our grief but um hopefully hopefully we can have a brief rest from marketing emails this week i'm talking to presenter and writer simon thomas Simon is a former Blue Peter presenter, as you were hearing us talk a lot about, and he's also a former presenter for Sky Sports. Simon came in to talk to me about his wife, Gemma, who died in 2017 of blood cancer. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with writer and presenter Simon Thomas. Hello. Hello. Simon, we recently did an event with Marie Curie, talking about grief, and... um, I've heard your na- obviously, obs the grief, uh, the grief grapevine. I'd heard your name. Lots of people saying, "Oh, you should speak to Simon. You speak to him. He's he's really talking about it." And it wasn't until I met you, <laughs> I hope this is bad, that I was like, 
He was on Blue Peter. Because everyone kept saying to me, Sky, oh, he's Sky Sports, Sky yeah, Sports. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't understand sport. I don't, don't have a television. Don't worry. So even anything on Sky even yeah. is difficult for me to watch, even like the comedy stuff. And then when I saw it, I was like, I literally like, you know, when you get transported, I was like, yeah. I watched him when I was younger. Oh, no, don't. No, I, don't, <laughs> and I don't want to know your age. No, no, yeah. but it's probably, to be fair, I watched Blue Peter because I was quite old. I Did really you? liked it, yeah. Well, I used to say six to 60. Like yeah, exactly. Audience, yeah, audience yeah. And beyond. I think. And you just meant, so who was your gang? My gang. So yeah. when I first joined, so I joined in 1999. In fact, right, the yeah. weird thing is, the last place I worked before Blue Peter is just around the corner from where we oh, are. Oh, really? Southern Bridge Road. Worked for a charity called the Oasis Trust. I was trying oh, to get on Blue Peter yeah. for years. And the third attempt, I got it. And so I started off with uh, Katie Hill, oh, Stuart mate. Miles. Oh, mate. And Connie Huck, who was still yes. there when I left. And then Stuart left, Katie left a year later. See, this is this is embarrassing. You started in 1999. Yeah. So everyone knows my age because I'm always talking about when my dad died. So I, yeah, I was... In my late teens, and late I was still teens. watching movies. <laughs> that's I why. I was say I was six. No, no, no. I was really old. That's why, because definitely it was the end of my watching Blue Peas. But everybody knows, absolutely knows, my dad died in 1998. I was 15. So, yep, I, I fully remember you joining. But those were the days when there wasn't any other stuff to watch. So, like, not. I mean, it, there was, but nothing like the level now. I mean, when no, I was a kid, it was mean, like, literally after school. You all watched Blue yeah, Peter. It wasn't quite black and white. Yeah, yeah. But it was very limited. Channel yeah. Four wasn't around then. Well, we had, I, yeah, I had Channel 4 by then, but like after tea, like you'd watch Blue Peter, yeah. then Neighbours, yeah. then you'd get Fresh Prince and you'd get like Simpsons. Like that was, oh, those, what, are the days. those are the days. And now when I look at Ethan, yeah, when he sits yeah. there and he, he gets up the Sky Planner. Oh my God. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it goes disc full. Oh I mean, my this, God. this machine can record an awful lot of television. Yeah, it's yeah. disc full. And I go through it 180 episodes of this wow. cartoon. Because it's got it on series link, yeah, and yeah. it's playing out all day, and it records a lot, and it's it's, it's terrifying, a ridiculous isn't it? amount of choice. And actually, I showed him Blue Peter for the first time oh, probably two you? years ago. Wow! Got him and said, "Sit down." He turned around and said, "Is this happening now?" I said, "Yeah, <laughs> this is live. There is still such a thing as live kids TV, but there's not a lot of it. No, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's vastly different now, and the, and the competition for for audiences is so different to when we yeah. were. We were still getting a few million." Now they're lucky if they get near a million. And wow. that's no reflection on the programme. No, just no, it's just too much stuff. I loved Blue Peter. So did I. It was really, yeah, <laughs> it was great. How long did you do Blue Peter for? Six then? years. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's a big part of your life, isn't Massive. it? And then that's obviously how you became a full-time presenter, basically. Is that where... Yeah, first yeah. break. I mean, I was... I sort of benefited from someone else's misfortune. So twice I tried. Yeah, yeah. Twice didn't get anything beyond the usual keep your letter on file, which is code for <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Richard Bacon gets dismissed in Did you replace Bacon? I did replace oh the Bacon. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Which, of course, I very vividly remember. Oh, my God. Well, I remember just... standing in the office where I was working wow. just near here. Yeah. On the Monday. So on the Sunday, it broke in the news. Yeah. Oh, my God. By the Monday evening. He's, he's gone. gone. Yeah. There's this really weird announcement from the then head of children's BBC, Lorraine Hegacy. It was like some sort of royal announcement. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was, was really black, formal. Very yeah. sombre. Really not, I didn't think it was a very good way of trying to relate a difficult subject to kids. I yeah, think they should have yeah. left it to the Blue Peter presenters, which they did to an extent. Um, <laughs> and I remember a woman who worked in this office just around the corner and she'd, she'd had some experience of working in local news as a presenter. So, you know, I knew about the TV industry and she just said to me, you have to give it one last try. 
Wow. But she said, wait, don't don't go in there today. She yeah. They'll be inundated, but this is going to be such a sensitive, raw time yeah, for Because yeah. Richard was very popular and very yeah, good. Yeah, I liked Richard. He was really and, great. He was you know, really people funny. People were hurting that they yeah. lost him. They understood why. Yeah. Not really the time the Monday after to go, hello, everybody. My show reel's <laughs> on the way. But I remember there's a pillar box just near here. Wow. And I remember a week later putting my CV and the show reel into this little bag, yeah, senior yeah. address, TV centre, and put it in the post box just around the corner from here. That's so mad, And eventually got an interview. And then the audition, and then it was a really elongated process because they were so... They must have been so nervous. Oh, my days. Have you ever gone out? Do you drink? Do you... Like, they must have been so, like, strict about your life. Well, that lifestyle. was the last bit because I had an audition, and there's this weight of a week, and I could barely eat. Because so yeah. I knew that this is the job I chase for ages. If I get it, it's a life changer. Mm. The stuff I'm going to get to do yeah, is going yeah. to be so beyond anything I've ever experienced. I hardly travelled at all before wow. that that I couldn't think about anything other than was of I going course, to get it yeah, and then yeah. eventually get dragged into TV centre. I say dragged, asked to come in one afternoon. So I left here, got on the tube and was taken to Lorraine Hegarty's office. And there was the editor, <laughs> Oliver McFarlane, the deputy editor, John And the line Cumberford, of and coke. Lorraine. And they were like, can yeah, you resist can it? Can you resist? <laughs> but she did ask me that. There was like this little wow. interview and she said, are there any skeletons in your cupboard? And wow. I said, I did once, you know, have a few puffs on a joint when I worked at Selfridges in London after university. There could be a photo rattling around somewhere, yeah. but I didn't like it and I never touched it again. Yeah, so... And she said, that's fine. Next thing, she leans into her fridge, pulls out a bottle of champagne <gasps> and says, you're a blue Peter oh! presenter number 27. <laughs> oh, wow. And the most amazing thing was, Mark, going out of that room later on, um, there was this big board with the, the 26 presenters yeah, yeah. that they've ever been on the show. And you just thought, this is, without a shadow of doubt, the most exclusive club in the land. And yeah. I've just become a member. And then I couldn't tell anyone apart from my closest family for about a month. Oh, my God. To sit on it. Yeah, because it was, it was so, like you said, it was such a huge job then, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. I know my mum used to always say to me, she says, you should be a Blue Peter. Like, You'd have Blue loved Blue. it because everything in it, acting, it. Yeah. adventure, She used to always travel. say it. But I'd always be really confused. I was like, what, like... Why? Why do you want me to do? She's like, you're crafty. You yeah. like doing things. I was like, yeah. I just, it just seemed like, for me, it always seems like job. Those jobs on telly were like, yeah, but I don't. That's that's the telly people are doing those things. You know what I mean? Like the the gap seemed like untouchable. Yeah, it was just like yeah, like yeah. you know, you and Katie and you know Connie were like, well, they're just like magic people who live in the telly. They're not real. <laughs> people because you're a kid you know you've never seen them but that was the strength of the show is that yeah. they they went for unknowns there were yeah, a few yeah. knowns down the years but as as our editor would always say when we looked for you know katie's replacement ended up being liz barker stewart's ended up being matt baker when when those that. were auditioning yeah, yeah. it was about would i be able to take you round to one of our viewers houses for tea yeah yeah and the kids could just sit there and relax and chat to you yes i mean i obviously clearly have revealed myself to be a bit of a blue peter fan that's <laughs> obviously not why you're here but someone should do a blue peter podcast that would be i'd happily listen Can you to imagine that. that yeah i'd listen to that oh mm. that's a good the, idea the cogs are turning <laughs> yeah yeah so simon who who are we remembering today we are remembering Gemma. Gemma, who is she was, was my wife. your wife? Yeah, your for wife. Twelve and a half years. For twelve and a half years. Yeah. So when did Gemma die? She died November twenty seventeen. So 2017. as we talk, it's sort of we're not far off eighteen months now. Which, yeah. which sounds remarkable to me. This mm. is, in some ways, it feels an age ago, but then in other ways, the yeah. day she went, that whole week feels like yesterday. I can still relive every single moment yeah. of it. Well, pretty much. But that's still really recent. In terms of grief, definitely. Like, yeah. that's very, yeah, very is. recent. Yeah. So, well, let's. So, how did you meet Gemma? We actually, so 
I'm sorry to keep coming back to Sutherford's Road. <laughs> no, it's fine. But Gemma ended up working at the Oasis Trust where oh, I'd left to right. go to Blue Peter. She joined about a year later. She'd been at Sheffield University. Bizarrely, when she used to watch... So we got a lot of students watching Blue Peter because it's the time mm, yeah. Neighbours is coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've, you've had your, your three lectures if you're an art student. Yeah, yeah. You're of, waiting to week. get pissed um, and go out. Yeah, and, and you never to watch a programme like that, probably in truth waiting for Neighbours, but... She actually said to her housemates one day, I think it was shortly after I joined, I'm going to meet him one day. Ne- never more than that. She says, well, I'm going to marry yeah, him, but I'm yeah. going to meet him. So she ends up doing that job. And then our boss, Ivor, uh, had one of his sort of summer parties, late summer parties, a sort of champagne evening oh, okay. in, uh, just near Windsor. And I'd actually gone there to, I was single at the time, to try and chat up another girl who worked at Oasis. Because <laughs> I'd always thought she bit of a look and there's yeah, something yeah. about her that was a bit mysterious never yeah, quite yeah. got to know her uh anyway I, I did end up having a bit of a chat to her <laughs> it went spectacularly wrong the mm-hmm. conversation died very quickly and i was just sort of chatting to my mates and i see this this girl i've never seen before and she's wearing this lovely three skirt and beautiful top lovely blonde hair and i thought oh and i got introduced to her and her name is Gemma. i mean it's just one of those moments in life where you just connect with someone yeah. and you forget about time. I mean, I probably only talked to her about half an hour, but it felt like about two minutes. Yeah. And then at the end of the night, <laughs> it was so embarrassing, but there was another girl from my old work who was there uh, and she must have had the lion's share of the of the fizzy stuff because she she was wobbling around the dance floor because <laughs> we'd gone inside by this point. And she sort of tried to have a chat with me and then sort of pinned me up against the wall and was trying to mm-hmm. give me a little goodnight kiss. Yeah. Gemma at this point walks back into the room oh, wanting no. to say goodbye. Oh, no. There I am in compromising position. <laughs> I managed to shift her out the way, got Gemma's number, broke the lad's protocol, which was no texts in the first 24 hours. Wow. I texted that night and said, love to see you again. And about a week later, we went on our first date and um, just sort of slowly fell in love with her. And, you know, when you talk about Blue Peter, she was, she came onto the scene sort of about a third of the way through Blue Peter. Right, and then okay. as I went on to Sky, she was the constant throughout that. We got married in 2005. And so, you know, for, for nearly all of my broadcasting career, yeah. because, you know, I've been honest about this elsewhere. It's, it's such a weird industry and an amazing industry to be part yeah, of. It's a very yeah. vulnerable place to be, yeah. regardless of whether you've gone through something like this or not. It's because you have to do your job in front of people, whether mm. that's like you do on stage. Yeah. You're now in front of a microphone. You, you are doing something. You, can, you can't physically see them, but you are putting yourself out there for people to judge you, to make opinions on you. And I would often find myself quite paranoid in the social situations. I, I stupidly got it into my head that because I'm on Blue Peter, people expect you to be this larger-than-life character. Yeah. And you're going to regale them with tales of adventure and mishaps and <laughs> all those kind of things. And dogs. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. dogs and, and annoying cats and, yeah. and a tortoise that never moves. <laughs> And Gemma was my kind of, I guess in those sort of situations, my sort of shield. She, mm. I felt so much more comfortable when I was with her in a social situation. Uh, and so she was for 90% of my life on TV, from BBC to Sky, she was the constant. Yeah, that support. You really need that. I think it's hard... Um it's hard sometimes because it sounds like you're moaning about it. Like when I moan about like acting or comedy. Yeah. And you're not. You're just trying to explain how weird it is. Yeah. And, you know, I've my one of my very, very good friends is a social worker. And, you know, like obviously her job is far more meaningful than mine. But like she'll explain the weird, like weird stuff. And 
it's like because our job looks exciting and glamorous, yeah. you're not allowed, like any negativity sounds like moaning. Whereas like even my friends moaning about working for the NHS and the complications, I'm not like, oh my God, get over it. At least you're a social worker. <laughs> like at least that's fun. But when you're a comedian or a presenter, people are like, oh, you had a hard day, you know, wearing nice clothes and standing in front of the camera. But but, but doesn't that show you once again how, how futile comparisons are all the yes, time? Yes, exactly. Because yeah. I, I've had one or two messages on social media who say, you know, it's really bad what you've been through. But... <laughs> there's this person who's been through something worse yeah. and I go back to them and say that is totally true of course there's always someone there's always someone but that doesn't invalidate the pain no, I'm feeling yeah. and in the same way when you're talking about your job just because it's deemed to be an amazing job and I was incredibly blessed and fortunate yeah. to do what I did but that doesn't invalidate me when I do have those and that's the thing I think that if you don't say it if you're not allowed to say it if you go oh well I shouldn't complain because I'm so lucky it, you know I don't want to upset these other people who are telling me I'm lucky you just live with that emotion gets packed away which is really bad for you yeah so it's like it's like well it might annoy you that i'm moaning about it but i need to for my mental health (laughs) i need to have a moan about it so um let's move forward ever so slightly so how did Gemma die what happened so it was all very very rapid yeah Uh, what took her life was acute myeloid leukemia and Mm. then a complication that happened because of the the length of time she hadn't got any any help right so she so you didn't know that was the thing you didn't know she had this no idea so probably uh in sort of mid mid october of 2017 uh, and it was a really it was a tough period for both of us because i'd i'd come off work with uh, my second bout of depression but this time with a really severe anxiety that led mm. to panic attacks before games. Oh. And oh, so this was before she was. Yeah, I was oh, in a wow. really bad place. Oh, I wow. was. I, it was the first time I'd ever come off work due to mental health issues. Yeah, um, I'd never had panic attacks, and the last time I worked was was at Old Trafford and had a full blown panic attack twenty minutes before going on air. Oh, that's and so horrible. The, the person, the voice that got me through that, she was in Norfolk at the time, was was oh. Gemma. Um, and then I had to come off work because it literally became debilitating. And as that's happening, mm. Gemma's starting to complain of these headaches. And it was becoming a kind of daily occurrence. And then as the days went on, it wasn't just a daily occurrence, but they weren't shifting. Right. And I don't think I see I see now, because hindsight is both a wonderful thing and a bloody horrible thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I see it with much more clarity what was mm. going on, but that's because it's I'm easy to back. see the timeline, yeah. isn't it? But when you're in it, you can't, you can't no. see the timeline at all. And I don't think because of what I was going through, I was seeing things yeah. with the clarity I might have done had you I not never been. Know. But I'll never you, know. You never know. But I just think, I think what Gemma had, which you know, I have talked about this before, but it's I think it's so true, particularly of women who are mums. Mm. There's that kind of will, that determination, that stubbornness yeah. to be there first and foremost for my family, yeah. to carry on. Like She had terrible insomnia ever since we had Ethan. She had yeah. Ethan in 2009. I think the disruption that having a baby inevitably causes mm. kind of stuck with her and she had on and off battles with insomnia for quite a while. So she got very used to soldiering on even when she was feeling dreadful. Yeah, and, and then she, when you're not sleeping as well, your, your base level's a bit fucked. Yeah. So like people go, how are you? Like, oh, I'm always awful. So, like, that's normal. That becomes normal. Yeah, Yeah. I'm always tired. I'm always knackered. Yeah. And so then you can't really differentiate between feeling really bad. She's like, well, I think I always sort of feel exhausted. That's kind of how I feel. That's just me. Yeah, yeah. yeah, It's really, that sleep stuff is really hard. It was just like kind of a modus operandi for years. Yeah, yeah. In quite long, long periods. God bless her. And then it's sort of the, the fatigue accompanied by the headaches got progressively worse. So and this we, is just over the couple of weeks, really, yeah, in October. Yeah, so in, in mid-November, this has gone on for a while, 
I just say, look, I've got an appointment on Wednesday um, to get some more medication for the depression. Mm. I really think you should come in and I can talk to the doctor about what you're going through. So we sat down with our doctor and we... I had half-joked a few times about it. He's a really lovely guy, but I always felt a little bit too quick to deliver the prescription. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily yeah, yeah. good. And listen, I understand it. Doctors are under time pressure. Okay. Trying to get an appointment, as we all know, is a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I did often say, jokingly, I'm, I'm, I'm worried that if ever either of us had anything serious, he'll never spot it. Anyway, yeah. so we had a chat about Gemma and the recurring headaches. And... And I think between the three of us, Gemma was really worried about me. She'd never mm. seen me like this before. Yeah, She'd never yeah. seen me having to come off work. And I was beginning to question my mind, could I ever go back to it? How yeah. do I get over this? How do I get over the nightmare of the last time I tried to work? And we kind of all agree that probably what was going on was this insomnia can combine with a huge amount of stress towards me was triggering these headaches. But then... By the Friday of that same week, she's gone downhill further. He's not in that day as we see a different doctor. He examines everything um, in terms of her vital statistics, signs. And he says the words at the end. Now, this again is when I, I get angry with myself, but I go, ultimately, I can't change it, so stop mm. getting angry with yourself. But he, he said to her, I'm satisfied there's nothing seriously wrong with you. She's dead a week later. Gone. And that weekend, she didn't get out of bed at all. And so we went back. Well, she went back to the doctor's on the Monday. She refused to let me come with her because I had my counselling appointment. So even in what was turning into her darkest week, mm. she was still putting me before her. I should have been in there with her. And as I found out from a, a doctor's chat with him in, in a, a few weeks later, I changed doctors, but I felt in terms of my healing from the anger I felt towards him, I didn't want to carry that with me for the rest of my life. I've got enough to carry as it yeah. is without resentment. Yeah. And I sat down with him and, for some bizarre reason, she didn't reveal everything that happened that weekend. The fact she'd hardly moved from her bed, the fact that she was too exhausted to take her head off the pillow, the fact she'd hardly eaten. None of this was translated to him and said to him. It's so hard because I, that, uh, that's so common. I know. I like, I remember when my mother-in-law was very sick and, uh, you know, eventually died of cancer and my, my husband would go with, would insist sometimes on going yeah. with her. And he would know that the ta- even the taxi journey to this doctor had been an absolute agony. Yeah. And they would say, the doctor would say, you know, how are you feeling? Oh, not too bad. And oh, he'd be like, yeah, yeah. he'd be like, what? Like, when are we going to say the agony? Like, <laughs> yeah. because it's that thing I'm of feeling you bloody horrendous. Yeah, doctor. like, and it's the thing of you if you are a coper or you you're I think if you're afraid mm. to say actually yeah. I'm I don't think I'm very well at all. And no. I know that feeling. I was hospitalised after I had my baby and. Uh, it took me a long time to actually be able to say, I think I'm very ill. Yeah, because there's yeah. a bit of you going, just don't say it out loud and maybe yeah. they'll let you go home. Like, yeah. <laughs> if I just... And I put up, you know, you do put up such a smoke screen. But yeah, of course, I mean, I completely understand Gemma just thinking, oh, maybe I'm tired, yeah. maybe it's okay. And they're, and they're saying, what, are you really bad? And you think, well, no, I don't feel, oh, I did get up, didn't I? And mm. I did make a sandwich or something. Like, you just But it's sometimes it. that that quiet voice of fear isn't it yeah it is but definitely if we actually say anything I might find out something I really don't want yeah, to find out and but I that might could have be to go to hospital you live or you don't. I know exactly well yeah I was again when I got hospitalised I was like oh I'm an idiot why mm. didn't I say this earlier but also yeah. what's interesting when I got hospitalised I had like this sort of you know severe infection from after the birth sorry guys TMI <laughs> um, but I think I wasn't um, I wasn't quite with it yeah and the illness made it, like, I often, it wasn't till that, you know, when I started getting the right drugs, yeah. literally, like, a cloud cleared. And I was like, oh, I've been really bad. And I went to Pats with Gemini as well. If you're sick, yeah. you're not quite, 
you're not quite on the right, you no, know, you're not. not quite thinking straight, are you? And sometimes when people say, are you okay? You think, I don't really know if I'm, I don't know anymore. But I can vividly remember how she looked that yeah. day and the kind of greyness in oh, her face. bless her. And that Monday's appointment was with our normal doctor. So yeah. it's been Wednesday and it's now Monday. So there's been a, oh, it's been a big decline in her yeah. health. And I think my anger with him initially was that, how have you not spotted that? Yeah, the decline from how, one week to the next. Have you yeah. not even seen it? Even if she's not telling you. Yeah, you should be able to look. Surely at yeah. that point you go, you must go and get a blood test. Yeah. I'm telling you now, get Simon to come and pick you up and take you away and he will get your blood test. As it turns out from talking to a consultant in Oxford where we eventually ended up, it was already too late. Yeah. But I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? That. Yeah, like, yeah. That, but I understand that anger. Yeah. Because you just wish someone... You know, you're not a doctor, are you? No, so you're just no. like, well, I, I don't have the the book that tells me a thing. And obviously, as you said, like they're under so much pressure. Yeah. They're so underfunded. Yeah. It's it is difficult. It's not a simple issue. No. And so Gemma she, would never have wanted <clears throat> me vilifying him. Yeah, and, yeah. And doing all that, so I had to let go of that quite early. And yeah, it was, sure it was good to great. do it because I just thought. You know, it's it. I've got I've got enough on my plate as it is yeah. without carrying that for the next few years. How yeah. old was Gemma? Uh, she turned forty, and, and that's the. Uh, well, there's lots of heartbreaking layers yeah. to it, but yeah, think about it, it was only in July that we had a garden party. So she was 40 yeah. in May. I mean, she to, when I look back at it, I think, thank the Lord, she rinsed out her 40th. <laughs> yeah, she went yeah. to a weekend with friends to Portugal. Aww. We did stuff on her actual birthday, and then we had a big, uh, we went to, uh, went on holiday to Portugal with all my family that Gemma had organised. And then we had a big party in July. And she, when you look back at the photos of that day, when I'm sometimes in the garden, I, take my mind back to that yeah. that evening in July and it rained all morning but the sun came out in the evening the music the smell of the wood-fired pizza company that came round just a beautiful evening and just seeing she was so vibrant and her, her friend John from university such a character had bought this bizarre pink feather headdress <laughs> but she wore it all night and she looked utterly amazing and she just smiled throughout the whole evening yeah. so in terms of last birthday to go out on she went out with a bang, but, <laughs> but it's it's literally a matter of weeks I know. before she's dead. It's mad. We found some... So my dad was diagnosed in February 1998 and dead by the April. Mm. And I was going through photos the other day. I don't have that many. And um, there's a photo of like him and my uncle and my brother. And I looked at it and I thought, well, he, doesn't, he doesn't look like my dad. He doesn't look well in that. And it was the November. Wow. But I can see now he yeah. looks really puffy and red and... He was he ran marathons and triathlons. He was training for an Ironman when he got was sick. Was he? <laughs> I mean, again, the things that they make are you beasts. go. Yeah, I've done a few marathons. But yeah, the idea of running a marathon after that. I know. Crikey. Yeah, he was a triathlete for like. Wow. Yeah, so he's very very fit and healthy, yeah. which apparently made it go quicker. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks for oh, thank metabolism. You. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. What what a comfort. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was funny because again, just looking at this picture, I thought, oh, he doesn't. You know, he was a very fit, healthy man. Yeah. I thought, God, he looks really ill in that picture. And yeah. it, you know, it has the old date stamp on it. And I was like, oh, he was. Yeah. He was ill at that picture. But you wouldn't, nobody knew, you know, mm. it's that weird thing, like you said, about hindsight. I mean, I've only got one picture where I think the kind of same thing, which is probably uh, from the, whenever Remembrance Sunday was in 2017. Because oh, Ethan had yeah. been on the Cubs and they, <laughs> they do this sort of parade through the village on Remembrance Sunday, then the Remembrance Service at church. Oh, yeah. And we went for a meal with some friends. And actually, it's interesting when I look back on some photos of that, only a few months ago, this is only, this is at a time when the headaches are beginning a little mm. bit. You actually, she looks quite, you know, yeah. she always looked very healthy. She looks yeah. quite grey in the face. So weird, isn't it? And you look it? at it thinking, mm, was, was it already was underway? It already there? Which it probably was. Well, yeah, that's what I thought about then, November, because mm. he, the only reason we discovered he was ill was that he went yellow in February Gosh. and that was it spread to his liver 
Yeah. So then initially they were like, oh, it's jaundice, it's jaundice. Yeah. They're like, oh, it's liver cancer, it's liver cancer. Oh, it's pancreatic cancer. Yeah. So that's the only reason anybody yeah. found anything anyway. Yeah. But so I'm looking at him in November thinking, well, he must have probably had the tumour in the pancreas mm. completely by then. But who, you know, yeah. it's, yeah, it's a really strange because you, you, you think, oh, but you know someone so well, obviously. But when you're with someone day to day, those changes are very hard Really or, hard. or also people have bad days. Or like yeah, they just, they they're tired yeah. and they don't look like... Yeah, and when you've got a wife who's had insomnia for nine years. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not surprising today she's looking... Yeah, she looks a bit tired. You know, and a bit tired. She had a busy day. So she was... That was the Monday. And yeah. they say, they say... So they didn't do any blood tests. I get back from my counsellor. Yeah. And she's back in bed. I was like, what happened? And I just said to rest up more and if it's still bad, come back in a couple of days. God. Anyway, so I mean, basically what happened is my mother-in-law, Gemma's mum was so worried and particularly when that afternoon Gemma's sick for the first time mm. that she she felt very bad for going behind my back but, but I think she was absolutely right to do so Wendy felt I wasn't seeing things clearly enough mm. you know I should have that Friday marched her out and said right so also this. if you're both you're saying it's fine yeah. it's really hard when both of you are doing that agreement of like we're not going to panic yeah I've been in that situation where you're just like I'm fine. Actually, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. So you think, okay, well, they're saying they're fine. So I don't want to push it. No. Like, I should respect them. Like, Let's it's just very... see how the next few days go. Yeah, you're yeah, trying yeah. to be practical and sensible. It's, it is, it's it really, is really hard. difficult. But she basically contacted some very close friends of ours whose sister was an eye surgeon, just felt, I wonder if Meg would speak to Gemma. So Meg spoke to Gemma that Monday night and said, based on everything I'm hearing, you really need to get away. And he so yeah. begrudgingly, Gemma went with her close friend Debs because he didn't really know what to do about Ethan. I thought, it could be a long night. I hope it's not, but yeah. I don't want him waking up and thinking, where are mum and dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I swapped place with Debs about midnight and I, 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 had, a, I had a feeling very early on. I did, I just, it was just something in the doctor's faces every time they came yeah, in. They'd done multiple blood faces. tests. <laughs> yeah. I just thought there's something coming that I don't yeah. want to hear. And at, at about four o'clock, they came in and just said, um, you know, we've, we're really very sorry to say that Gemma's blood is is deranged um, and she's got a blood count of some sort. We don't know what yet. And it was just a very fast sequence of events. I I did go home to get Ethan ready for school because I wanted to keep it as normal as possible. Obviously, yeah. it was totally abnormal what was happening. And then went back to uh, the hospital with Gemma's sister, Rebecca, and then get a call from Gemma as I'm travelling back to say I'm being rushed to Oxford. So she was going to be put on a machine there, a phenesis machine that basically takes took her blood supply out twice. So wow. uh, in a normal healthy adult, your white blood cell count should be around about 10. Mm. Gemma's was richer in nearly 500. So to explain Fuck. it in terms of the best analogy her consultant came up with, you know when you buy a, like a McDonald's milkshake, yeah. you know, when you first get it, it's really hard to draw it through the straw because yeah. it's in this frozen thick state. But as it unfreezes, it thins mm. and then it flows through the straw really quickly. The reason why she was so shattered, couldn't do anything and had the headaches is that her blood as this, these white blood cells that acute, mild leukemia causes to explode into your bloodstream have turned her blood into like sludge. Wow. And so the heart is struggling to push it around the body. And they had to get her as quickly as possible on this machine to take out as many as they could. It, it knocked the white blood cell count down dramatically. That night, the chemotherapy starts. And that night, we get told it's acute mild leukemia. Never, never heard of it. Mm. No clue. I'd heard of leukemia. Yeah, I've and heard of it. Initially, our thoughts were, and this is true, a lot of people now, compared to 20 years ago, get better from leukemia. Yeah, leukemia is not one of the, well, obviously, people people do yeah. die from it. But yeah, I know what you mean in terms of what ones that come with like massive alarm yeah. bells. You think, okay, I've heard people, I've heard yeah. people go, oh, I had leukemia yeah. and I'm okay now. Yeah. Like, you're like oh, I've heard that sentence. Yeah. yeah. Fuck, so she gets rushed to Oxford. Yeah. Do you then follow up to Oxford? 
I was in the ambulance with her. Oh wow! Yeah. Jesus. And do you know what? I've written about this in the book, and I think this is this is where you understand just how much shock I was in at what was going on yeah. because I I travel that road quite a lot of times between mm. the links sort of Reading to Oxford, and you get on the M40, and so many of my games are the Midlands and the oh, Northwest. Yeah. Been up that road so many times, and here we were firing down at 85 in the middle in an ambulance with the lights going. Now, obviously, I'm scared, of course I am, but mm. I'm sort of chatting to the paramedic about the skills of the driver. <laughs> I'm taking a video, I've still got it on my phone, a video. Wow. I did it pan to German, poor old German looks grey as anything, she's got an oxygen mask on. I wasn't processing what no. was going on in front of me because actually, what the hell was I doing? I thought, oh, you know, when Gemma's better, it'd be fun one day to yeah, look back on this yeah. and say, oh, look, you know, that's how bad you were, but look where you are now. But I wasn't processing at all what's but going shock, on. Shock, Total is, shock is, I think we, it's so discounted the shock. Yeah. Like, you know, I think, like, I joke, I think I was in shock for about 18 years, yeah. especially being a child. Like, I, you know, I'm, and I've said this before on the show, I remember my mum on, the, I think it must have been the Friday saying, He'd been in the hospital, like the cancer hospital for this week and a half or something. And on the Friday, she said, you know, we're going to see dad today. And I was like, oh, I don't want to come today. Like, I just want to stay at home. And she was like, I think you need to come today. And I remember thinking, oh, that's a bit serious. Like, why? Okay. And I just was not computing that he was going to die. Like, my mum, bless her heart, like, she fucking knew what was going on. And I remember being like, oh, Okay, and even in a part of me, I remember sort of thinking, "Don't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> just get dressed. Yeah. Just go to the hospital. Like you always go to the hospital. Oh, I have to have the horrible food. Da, 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 da. Like the shock. You just cut your brain. You, it's like you can see it. Can't mm. there's a little bit going. They're about to die, and you're like, mm. no, thank you. Mm. I just, yeah. I'm, I can't. If I look at that, I don't know if I'll be able to stand up again. I, no. I think I might just vomit and faint. Yeah. So I think it's. It's such an amazing thing that your body does. Yeah. Like, if you had processed it, what would you have done in that ambulance? Panic, scream, Gemma might have got really distressed. So, like, your body was like, let's make it fun. Let's but make I it fun. But I think that's exa- exactly the same thing with denial. Yeah, Why denial yeah. happens because it's, I think it's the brain's way of saying, I'm going to suspend reality yeah. a little bit. You <laughs> yeah. know deep down she's gone. Yeah. But if you accept this all in one go... Mm. The gravity of what's happened, no, just, it's going to floor you beyond yeah. you've been floored already. Yeah. It's too much. And it's I think it allowed me over those days the shock of what was happening because part of it was being suspended. So I am videoing, thinking, yeah, yeah. what an amazing driver this woman is. <laughs> She's just raw, you know. But that's the, the mind just saying, you cannot take all this yeah. in at once. And what was Gemma? Did, did Gemma sort of think... Did you think, could you sense that she thought it was very serious or was she equally probably in the same place as you, kind of a bit shocked and like... Ultimately, I I don't know because we never got to have those kind of conversations. There's one photo I have, again, it was the ambulance, it was her being loaded up onto it. And I just, I I can see in her eyes fear. Mm. And why wouldn't wouldn't she be feeling fearful? But I think the pace of events over that week was so relentless in terms of the treatment kicking in that there weren't, times to sit down and really think about what this meant and because couldn't even begin to think about what the long-term picture might be Mm. we knew that her survival chances were going to be 50 50 initially that floors you but then you go well listen glass half full glass half empty which we're going to go for the glass is half full she's got 50 percent chance she pulls through this Mm. i didn't know then what i know now didn't know any of the stats about mild leukemia Mm. you know one of the most horrifying stats is only 15 percent will make it beyond five years. So the outlook for Gemma statistically mm. was pretty awful. Yeah. But we didn't look at any of that that week because we just wanted to get through that week, get the chemotherapy underway and then take it a day at a time and see where we are in a week's time, in two weeks' time. We you know, we knew that probably she was going to be in there 
through Christmas and beyond. We mm. talked a little bit about Christmas momentarily, how we do it. We were just going day by day. I yeah. didn't leave her side. I went to get Ethan from school one night, but I was there every night. And we were just getting through each day. I've never felt as close to Gemma as I felt in those three days. You know, we had some amazing times together. We never talked about the possibility that she might not see Ethan grow up because we were just trusting that we'd be okay. We believed mm. we were going to be okay because I said to the family, I don't want to hear if your friends are Googling yeah, AML, yeah. if they're reading books on AML. I don't want to know right mm. now. We will know in time what the outcome is. Yeah, you're not. Is. What, what good would it have been to have it? No to good. Know that, yeah. And the fear would have would have yeah. intensified. Again, it's like we said. Anything. It's like you know the shock and denial. Like if, if Gemma had had a hundred percent of the facts, well, you know maybe she wouldn't have been able to even like have you said have a moment. No. You've just been like, what the? F-? Your yeah. brain explodes. Yeah. So I think you you know. Your brain is an amazing thing at just it going, is. just yeah. take it minute by minute, hour yeah. by hour. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Griefcast. With Carrie Ad Lloyd. So you go to Oxford on the Tuesday, she starts chemotherapy. Mm. And then what, yeah, then what happens? So I went back to see Gemma's consultant, Dr. Andy Pennecker, probably about two months later because the speed of events of the week, but then the Thursday night and the Friday morning was so, so quick. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have really full understanding of what had happened. So I sat down with him and sat there for three hours. So what had happened, and this is why, in Gemma's case, not getting treatment quick enough cost her her life. Mm. It did not getting that blood test earlier cost yeah. her her life. Yes, the outlook wasn't good, but what had happened when that blood, as I talked about, was in that very thick sludge-like state, as it was being pushed into the brain and around the brain, the, the membranes that surround the cells in your brain are very, very thin. They're mm. like sort of tissue paper. And because the blood was so thick, it perforated numerous oh, membranes. God. But the blood in that thick state wouldn't flow out because right. it was too thick to flow out these tiny little start, holes. you like, making it thinner. So as the week went on and the chemotherapy does what it was supposed to do, starts killing off mm. as many of the white blood cell count as it can and brings it down. Thursday night, she was, she was on, without doubt, the best form of the week. Our friends came in to see her. 
there was colour black in her cheeks. Wow. She was actually sat on the end of the bed and they went away saying, we're really surprised. We thought she'd be, yeah, I mean, yeah. listen, we all knew it was serious, but we thought she'd be looking a lot worse. But, yeah. You know, when, when I hear back, I've put in their conversations in the book about what they said and their memories of speaking with Gemma that night. Her, her, her biggest concern was the fact she hadn't been able to have a poo for the last three days. <laughs> and Liz old, says she clearly hospital. wasn't even contemplating the idea no. that she might not get through this. No. And then that night, the headaches returned for the first time since the Tuesday. So that was the Friday night. The, sorry, the Thursday night. Thursday night. So the headaches return. She starts becoming very disorientated. Mm. So when I took her on our now well-ingrained route from bed to loo, mm. with me sort of holding the drip thing behind her, she's struggling to stand up straight. And it just cartwheeled over the next few hours. And then Dr. Annie Pennicott comes in early. She's being chest x-rayed in the room. She went to sleep at about five o'clock. Uh, I put her back to bed. My last conversation with her made no sense at all. She wasn't co- coaching mm. anymore. Um, and I just kissed her goodnight and said, look, you know, let's they'll sort sort all this out in the morning I'm sure it's just the medication and everything but as it turned out she was fully unconscious because that bleeding process in the brain had begun yeah and you know just hours later I'm you know they went I just remember following that this is where I'm not computing at all what's going on I'm just in this kind of continual daze as I walked behind her bed as it was taken down through the kind of maze of corridors mm. to the uh to the big scanner CTI scanner mm. and in she goes comes out back to the bedroom back to the room and then I get sat down with Dr. Annie Pennington and she's got 15 to 20 bleeds and barring probably a miracle, there's nothing we can do. And you're then being told she's got hours. She's probably gone by six o'clock tonight. If we so she was, and she was unconscious. She never time. woke up again. Yeah. So you're talking about last conversations with people. Oh, well, I know what the last yeah. one, your last conversation ever with your dad was. Mine with Gemma was an incoherent chat about yeah. trying to get her to the loo. It's not really how you imagine when that horrible day comes. I know. Your well, last words are going to pan out. We say it on the show all the time of like, there isn't such a thing as last conversation. No, like, no. you need to be talking before that. Like, yeah, don't you know, wait for the last do conversation. Do not wait. Because, and like, we say this so much because even if somebody, you know, obviously it's a very extreme situation, but like, mm. you know, once my dad was on the, you know, he's in the hospital, he's on a lot of morphine. Mm. Like, yeah, he was having some real trippy conversations. Yeah, but he was. Yeah. I can't. I can't remember our last proper chat when yeah. he was with it and it's such a blur and I remember talking to him I remember trying to talk to him about something and he wasn't with it and I got really annoyed <laughs> cause oh. I'm like oh god like well, he's not even listening to me because you know you don't yeah. you're a teenage girl yeah. and you don't understand so yeah you you don't ever get that like no. I love you it's okay like yeah it's not when our time comes yeah or a loved one time comes it's about them it's about us knowing that from the people who mattered most to us, mm. we we know and we're confident that we were loved by them and yeah. are loved by them. Yeah. And that doesn't need a final conversation. And that's why, as you say, it's so important every day, you know, with my boy to tell him, as I always did, but to tell him every single day, I love you mm. and I'm proud of you and, and I love you endless times. Yeah. <laughs> so that, you know, when that day sadly comes, when I'm no longer around, mm. my boy will, will go, okay, I didn't have a final conversation with my dad or whatever it might be, but I know yeah. he loved me. I yeah. know. And we I talked about this different episode, but my, my therapist, um, I was getting very upset the other day that I can't remember his voice. Like I just can't I remember it. Yeah, it's I can't horrible. remember it. It's just especially the timeline I'm mm. on, it's just like I can sort of remember, but and then she said something really interesting to me. She was like, You can't remember his voice, but you do know what he would have said to you. Yeah. So she was like, It's That's like interesting. Yeah, and yeah. she said it's a it's a loss because yeah. you've lost the voice and that is a loss and that's sad. But but you have a new thing, mm. which is you have a voice inside you. And 
And she said, if I say a situation to you, could you tell me, well, what would your dad say about this? Or are you getting married or having yeah. a baby? And I was like, oh, yeah, I can absolutely tell you what he'd say. And she was like, well, that that is his voice. That's yeah. what he's given you. You have that inside you. You just can't hear it anymore. But you actually can hear it in a different way. I remember the Saturday after she went, I li- and I think I've heard her voice, but, you know, 36 hours ago. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember what Jenna sounds like. But the difference now compared to when your dad went. Oh, yeah, the, you watch a video phones, or something. Well, I phones know. keep voice messages. For, I so I remember sitting on my phone that afternoon, replaying message after message. Yeah. And the weird thing about it, even when I occasionally do it now, it sounds so normal because, yeah. of course, it yeah. was part of yeah. normal life. Yeah. Gemma saying, you know, where are you, doll? I've just been nipped out to the shops. Do you want some lunch before yeah. you go to work? So normal. And yet now so utterly bizarre that that's just a voice and a memory. It's like the it's voice from the past, isn't it? Yeah. I remember once I found his dictaphone in the office, like years later, and I just pressed play and just hearing. That must have been so strange. Oh, it was just, and I stopped immediately because I was like, "What? Like, like, yes, you know, it is ghostly, it is weird, but yeah, I'm as we talked, we talk about this on the show. Like, I'm an analog griever. I don't have any easy access to remembering him apart from photos. Really, that's the only thing, which, in some ways, is hard, but I think in other ways, is a little bit helpful because I can't sit and replay something mm. over and over again mm. and I wonder I don't know if in a way that's well there's no good or no bad is it? it's just different but um I sometimes think maybe it was helpful that I didn't I wasn't able to just be like stop play stop play and I could have done that with a dictator but it was too scary <laughs> it's just like and we had a VHS yeah. you know one VHS of him at my brother's um 17th birthday go-karting you know which actually I watched a tiny clip of the other day someone digitized it um for me and i watched it on dvd it was so weird it was just so but you know just like you said they just seem just see they just look normal yeah. like they're not walking around yeah, like are. i'm gonna die yeah. you know um so yeah so you're in the hospital and they so the doctor says there's a couple of hours so did you just sit with her was that what was your process then that's about eight o'clock in the morning so she went by quarter to six so it, it was immediately the question of what do i do yeah yeah regarding ethan yeah of course his advice was the age he's at, so he was eight at the time, he's at an age where you don't need to tell him everything, mm. but you don't want to be faced with the question in years to come, why wouldn't you allow me to see mum on her final day? Yeah. So I decided straight away he needs to come in, so our friend Debs, who'd been there the night before, goes mm. to pick him up from school. Uh, I have to make the call to Gemma's mum and then Gemma's sister, who were oh, totally God. unaware that this had all happened through the night. Yeah. You know, that they are howling down the phone at me, but they oh. head to the hospital and then... Uh, other friends came. My, one of my sisters, Becky, made it from Norfolk. Hannah sadly didn't make it in time. And it was just a day of shock. Obviously, you're not really registering fully what's going on here. I, I just knew in my head that I had hours to rinse out every last moment with her. Mm. I knew I wasn't going to hear anything back from her. So I just, I sort of, I did, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, so I, I, I tried to believe that somehow God would heal her, that he'd stop mm. being. So I prayed for her for about three, four hours, and then I realized, well, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and I just spent the, the afternoon literally just recounting stories in her ear of when we met, mm. of our marriage day, and then lots just about her relationship with Ethan and, and make, you know, promising her that I'll do everything to, to carry on the, the amazing work you've started in his life and the character he's already becoming mm. because of the love and the time and the the grace and the wisdom that you've already poured into him and it was just just constant just in her ear and I played some of her favorite songs um my friends talk about 
me that day and they say that you had a strength I mean my vicar David was there and he's he's been in a room sadly a few times with with in a pastoral role with, mm. with people who've watched a loved one die before them and he said I didn't I've never seen a strength like you had so I think there was a, a, a sense of denial there probably was but I just knew I had to make the most of this but that's to. what that's what's so interesting about denial of like I think denial is always talked about very negatively mm. but actually sometimes it gets you through the day that your wife exactly. is dying because exactly. it goes okay I'm gonna just like you said have every moment and yeah. talk and talk and I think that's it sounds beautiful well if the gravity really of the situation without that denial had come into play oh, you, it would have been a totally different yeah. day and then how could you have been there for for her I couldn't like she still needed you yeah and they said you know I know no one quite knows but they say that hearing is the last thing to go and that act of love for you to just sit there and talk and, and promise, especially yeah. as a mother, yeah. to promise, like, I'm going to look after yeah. him. Like, well, what else can you do? Like, what yeah. what use would it be going, well, this is awful. I'm going to accept the situation. This is fucking horrible. Gonna like, yeah, 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 I'm going to hit the roof and punch everybody. I mean, that all came later, but for but that, that day. But absolutely, yeah. it should come later. Yeah. Like, what good was it in that day? It's it no good. Gemma no. still needed you. And also with Ethan when he came in. Oh, that must have been so You know, hard. and sitting down with, with the doctor and him explaining in a very a very loving and wise way but not not disguising the, the yeah. gravity of what was going on you know i i had to be calm for him yeah yeah and to see your 8 year old boy weeping you know i had to help him through that and then when i was able to take him into the room the two times he went in i was able to be calm for him i was able to transmit that calmness to other people and say you really need to be calm yeah. when ethan comes in because this is his moment and it, he's scared enough as it is. He doesn't yeah. need us collectively losing the plot, even though we probably feel that's what we want to do. Mm. So he can have that last moment. And then, you know, he spends the rest of the day playing in this amazing centre called Maggie Centre just near the hospital. Oh, look after wow. families, amazing yeah. charity. Look after families who've got people in the hospitals with cancer and stuff. And, you know, I, I don't think there's anything I'd change about that. Obviously, I'd change the outcome. That yeah. goes without saying. But in terms of... In terms of rinsing out the time I had left with her, there's there's not anything I'd change about it. And I'm just really thankful that actually for those few hours, I was able to be reasonably calm. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. that's incredible. That's what, like I said, she still needed that. He even yeah. needed it. And, well, you know, you just, these moments that you're presented with that you had no idea you were going to be presented yeah. with, you know, you just got to get through them. And yeah. then and then the fallout, of course, the denial has the to... The car then, crash. Yeah, the car crash. The denial has to shit, has to fall away. Yeah. And that's very painful because yeah. you are in a protected place in denial. You are yeah. in a sort of... And hospitals and hospices are slightly, you know, they're out of the world. You're in the slight bubble. Mm. And of course, then we have to get into the real life. That's fucking hard to be strong in the day to day, the monotony of someone not being there. I think that's when it's like, oh, like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> well, I have to do this every day. Well, I remember only hours, well, no, probably less than two hours after she went, Ethan had gone back with some other friends. So they were back at the house. And, you know, this amazing group of friends and family around us sort of sorted out all Gemma's belongings. I went in to sort of hold her hand for the final time and sort of say goodbye. And, and then we leave and, I mean, that's when the car crash begins mm. because I come out of the hospital and I literally, I've never shouted as loud as I shouted. All the emotion of the day, mm. the anger at what had just happened, the, the anger at God that my pleas not to leave my boy without a mum had gone mm. unheard. I just went, I just shouted my head off. I collapsed to the floor and then we get in the car and obviously all the way back I'm in my head thinking, how do I even begin to tell Ethan this? I can't avoid it. It has to come from me. can't come from anyone else. I'm trying to process that and think, how do I do this? 
And then we just, we hadn't eaten all day. And I, I looking back, I'm surprised I was even hungry, but we were. And so the golden arches of McDonald's appear <laughs> in the darkness on the way back yeah, from Oxford yeah. to, to Reading. And we stopped. And you know, exactly what you've just been then hits you less than two hours later, because I remember vividly walking in to that fast food restaurant. And here is everyday normal life mm. right in front of you. The yeah. sound of kids messing around, farting around on those ruddy iPads that are stuck <laughs> in McDonald's. The sound of the chip fry crackling. Just the sights and sounds of a normal Friday mm. night. But to me, it was an absolute affront. It was an offensive affront to yeah. feeling because I was in the most bewildering, broken, horrible, frightening place I've ever been launched into. And yet here was a normal Friday night and a McDonald's. And I was so close to shout. I mean, I I came within millimetres of just going, what the fuck is wrong with you? Mm, Yeah, My wife has just fucking died. Mm. And you're here having your quarter pounders with cheese (laughs) and your buffalo wings or whatever you're having. Uh, But of course, thankfully I didn't because... It's not their fault. I know. They, they don't know what's just happened. Most They don't know me. They don't know. know Gemma. But it was, but it you was like being whacked around the yeah. head with something. But it's your feeling inside is so strong that you just... It, you just can't believe the world isn't feeling it. No, you you're can't. just like, but I feel this so. How are we all not crying? Why are we all not collapsing? Surely, and it's. Yeah, I, I think a front is a really good word. You really feel like, well, what are you all doing smiling? Like, why yeah. is everyone? Yeah. You sit the fuck down and start crying, please. And it, it's one of the hardest things yeah. about grief is that you, you know you're the only one in that has that feeling. Even family members have different yeah. feelings, you know, and it's. Oh, there's a line I use in the book and I just say that the thing you have to learn to accept when you go through this however painful it is mm. is that the relentless rhythm the drumbeat of life never stops beating stop. no matter who you are yeah. and actually I'd say the interesting thing about grief is that that's what will save you mm. is that the world carries on mm. like that's actually yeah. the best thing about it yeah. because when you you know you emerge from your shell things are going on and you find yourself caught up in life mm. and that helps you. Yeah. But at the time you're like, no, I want to stay with this person. I don't want to move forward. But mm. actually, you know, oh, you need to do this on a Thursday and you have to pick this person up and you've got to call that person. All this life stuff helps you to start living. You when know? you've got a kid, oh, God, you of haven't course. got a choice. Yeah, you just got to get on with you it. Drag back. I mean, I was walking back into school a week later oh, with Ethan. Oh, my God. And I remember that walk to the programme vividly, you know, from the car park to the school mm. gates dreading it and actually most people were absolutely lovely but there were the people who couldn't look yeah and you're thinking so over a week ago I was walking in here as a husband and a dad I'm still a dad I'm Mm. not a husband anymore lost my wife and here's the incessant chitter chat of the playground I'm not saying people were being sensitive they weren't no but here was life again as it has been and as it always will be Mm. it's a school playground the chitter chatter of daily life is echoing around your head, and, yet and what you're hearing you feel as well, like you're on some kind of funeral march yeah, as you, God, as you yeah. walk slowly up to school. And what you're hearing, I think, the other hard thing about it is you're hearing people who are alive. Mm. So that's what makes that that anger yeah. come from. Of like, oh, you're all here having a fine time. Nobody died in your family today, did yeah. they? Like, oh, everybody alive, are they? That's how I used to feel. All your parents here. Oh, bloody great for you, isn't it? Like, it, it's that sort of because you said you don't want to compare, but then you can see these. All your fucking, kids have got a mum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ethan hasn't. That, yeah, yeah, you're totally right. And so but. it does make it so hard. And then, you know, you do move through it, and you do get much better at being like. I don't, but I think it's so important to like. I felt when I was a teenager, I'm very angry. I felt like, oh, I'm doing grief wrong. Mm. And I say on the show every fucking week, like, anger is 
a totally valid part of this process. Like you It's can, a really important yeah, part. Yeah, and you can do... Some people just cry and they're very sad. Some people punch things and get and shout. And if you're in the punching and shouting club, as I am, don't feel bad about it. I mean, obviously, don't punch people, punch walls and pillows. That's what I would recommend. But you, it, it's infuriating that people just can fucking die like that. It's not... It's very anger-making. And I, used to, I used to stand quite regularly in the early days down the end of our garden and the River Thames flows oh, past well, the end. Yeah. Well, not quite the end of our garden. There's a bit of land between our garden and the Thames and quite regularly because sleep was absolutely messed yeah, up in yeah. the weeks afterwards. We used to wake very, very early and, and quite regularly for those poor joggers and cyclists <laughs> on the early morning towpath on yeah. the opposite side of the Thames would have seen what would have appeared a lunatic in Wellington boots <laughs> and a dressing ground howling blue murder at God or yeah. life or whatever. But I used to always think, look, I've got to, this has got to come out somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'd rather it came out here where it's not hurting anyone. It's not it's not worrying Ethan for a start. Yeah, Although yeah. there were some who said, Daddy, were you shouting at me? <laughs> yes, I was. Yeah. And some of the neighbours like, you like, I knew they were talking to each other because yeah. they didn't know what what do we say to our neighbour who is it's quite regularly now down the garden. But there, there was a period where I had to let of I was course. hugely angry. Yeah. Hugely angry that more for my boy than anyone else. Yeah, yeah. You know, I felt a sense of anger that I'd been robbed of Gemma I felt a huge amount of anger you see I, I just think there's there's a secondary loss to this there's a number of losses I've lost my wife Ethan's lost his mum but it's easy to forget that cancer robbed Gemma of many many years yeah. not just of enjoying life but of being his mum mm. being hopefully enjoying still being my <laughs> yeah. my wife but you know, the, the average age life expectancy of a woman in the UK at the moment is about 82 years. Yeah. Now, we can't just assume everything would pan out, but had it done so, she wasn't even at half time. Yeah. So I felt a huge amount of anger that she just had her life taken away. And at a time in her life when, you know, she started this refugee project at our church, you know, now a family has come to Reading. Wow. They've got a house for us. So we went to the airport a few weeks ago and brought this Syrian family who had just a horrendous last few years. And they're now being supported by our church, living in this house. That's Gemma's legacy. But her life was in such an optimistic place. She was embracing being 40. Yeah. She was happy and then suddenly, bang, cancer just takes her out. And that anger I felt for her, for Ethan and for myself, that has to come out. Yeah. I'd rather it came out at the end of the garden in a pair of Wellington boots and a dressing gown. Oh, my God, yeah, than in the middle of Sainsbury's. Yeah, like, than in front of Ethan yeah. or actually, I, listen, some of the occasions I would get angry in front of my friends, but... Oh, sod it. Yeah, yeah. But most of the time I'd let it out somewhere it yeah. didn't impact other people too much. My mum used to take the dog for a walk and then get a big stick and then beat, beat break the stick up I on a log. Said beat the dog. <laughs> yeah, beat the dog, sorry. <laughs> and she'd kill the dog. And, you know, that's Took what Took out happened. squirrels, yeah. and anything that moved. <laughs> no, anything that said life, gone. We used to have this like poor little poodle who was like so timid. And uh, yeah, she'd get a big stick and she'd like whack it on the log and like shout and cry in the middle of the woods. And she said the dog would just look at her like, what's she doing? <laughs> and she'd like, oh, I feel better now. And yeah, you have to get it out. You have to get it out. It's interesting when I look back on nearly 18 months, looking at a kind of, I hate using the word journey, but seeing where yeah, you were, yeah, yeah. seeing where you were six, six months afterwards, then a year, and looking at the changes, not just in yourself, but the changes in people around you. And I think the thing I struggle with now more than anything is this whole feeling that 
I think it's because when people see you in a stronger place, they they see oh, the front, don't they? Yeah. They see you turning up at the school gate. And, you know, in the very early stages of grief, you know, all of my friends who were around me in those first few weeks, if you asked them, so Carrie, I'd ask my friends what I was like, they'd mm. say he was a mess. There were times where we literally didn't know how to help him anymore. I had what my counsellor described. I did have PTSD. Mm, I did. Of course, of Because course. I'd watched my wife die. I had no time to prepare for mm. it. It was a traumatic death. It's traumatic grief. Yeah. It's like my counsellor said, you were involved in a car crash. And it's no surprise that you were suffering from PTSD, yeah. sleep deprivation, violent mood swings. One minute you're angry, one minute you're on the floor crying, God. the next minute you're rash. All these kind of things were going on. And so grief the symptoms of grief were very obvious. Mm. The problem I think for everybody who goes through this is, is as time goes on, time isn't a healer. No. That the pain, the wound that your dad's death inflicted on you will never be healed. There will always be a big yeah, scar there. Yeah. But time changes things. And it changes me. It changes, changed you. Mm. And so as, as these 18 months have gone on, I've changed. I have to the world become stronger. Mm. I smile more. I laugh more. I'm enjoying more of life than I was a year ago mm. because the, the clouds have, have sort of parted more often and for longer. So a lot of my grief is hidden. People yeah. don't see me at home with just Ethan. Mm. They just think, well, he's all right now. He's in a relationship with Darina. Everything's fine. And right, let's crack on. And it's like, it's like nothing ever happened. Yeah, you no. chat to good friends, you chat to colleagues, you chat to people at the school gates. And I'm not asking, I don't want people to get this wrong, I'm not asking that every time I see a friend, they're like, how are you? How are you? I yeah, don't no, want yeah, that. No. But sometimes I do want that. Someone just no. goes, how are you doing? How is Ethan? How is life? Just, you know, because even though I am in a relationship, you know, mm. we don't live together. Yeah. Most of my days, it is just me and the boy in the house. And it's a big house and mm. it feels ruddy bloody empty mm. and yet now Gemma's name isn't mentioned very often I know that's why we're on this show we mention it so much because so many people come in they're like oh I haven't been able to say their no. name and I'm like Gemma existed Gemma's and a it person was like, wasn't it? The other yeah, now yeah. I found what she said interesting that when you were both talking about this where you almost feel like embarrassed to bring their name up yeah yeah because oh I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable by mentioning Gemma's name but I want to talk about my yeah. wife and about Gemma and what I miss about her and who she was and laugh about the happy times and mm. and, and cry about the sad the, you know what we've lost and I, I think for bereaved people when you get to this stage in, in the bereavement journey process whatever you want to call it but actually it's just getting on with life and trying to find some kind of life again knowing that you're going to carry that burden and that pain with you for the rest of your days is when you get to that stage where I feel now like we are spoken to, treated like nothing ever happened, yeah. like almost Gemma never <clears throat> happened. Like, yeah, that's and the thing, it's, is, it's like what's hard, I think, what people don't realise, that people love a narrative. Mm. <clears throat> so they want narrative like, oh, he was very sad and now he's okay. Yeah. But for that to be true, Gemma has to not exist for them. Mm. Because if they go, he's okay, but, his, but Gemma died. So that can't be true. So I'm just not going to... Like, yeah. it, it fights against a narrative in yeah. their head. And I think what's so hard when you when you are in grief, like, somebody's died, you know, my dad died, and then when they don't mention him, you're like, you're, it's like you're killing him again, like, mm. because then I, we're not even talking about him, he's not remembered, and I just find it... I find it so strange, because it, it, it shouldn't... You know, I can understand. Go, I can understand a big question. You know, saying to someone like, "Well, how are you feeling about the concept of grief?" Like, yeah, that's huge. <laughs> but if you're like, "Oh, have you been missing Gemma lately?" Yeah, like that to me is like that's not a crazy question. Mm. That doesn't seem like impossible to ask. And I, what I find weird as well is like, why don't they trust us to say, "Oh, I'm just not really in the mood to talk about it today," but mm. thank you for asking. Yeah, because you yeah. can 
totally do that. Yeah. And I've asked people things and they've gone, oh, yeah, just, yeah, don't want to talk about it today. Yeah. But yeah, I'm all right. But just that is like, but I tried. We tried. Now you know the door's open. You know I'm not someone who freaks out about it. It's just... um. It's just fear. It's all fear about emotion. People just don't want to get you upset about it. And I think it's also because when you engage with it, I think people gravitate around you in the first few weeks because we just have that kind of, that instinct in us to want to help someone. Yeah, and yeah. But, but after a while, it becomes too painful a situation to stare yeah, at. My yeah. cat's is a really good line. It's like trying to stare at the sun. You can only stare at it for so long. Oh, and I think yes. people get to a stage, and I do think this exists, and it's not a criticism of people, but mm. people have compassion fatigue yes and after a while it's like i can't look at this situation anymore yeah, yeah, i can't yeah. be around you in the same way that i was i can't feel the empathy for you in the same mm. way that it's not that i don't care and love you anymore i still do but i haven't got the emotional energy to keep going there with yeah. you and actually because we want life to be okay we want it to be good we yeah, want, so it to we be want happy. the happy narrative and sadly when something like this happens yeah. and your dad goes and Gemma goes it interrupts life mm. and people are only prepared for it to interrupt life for so long. And the sad truth is, as you go on and it becomes a year, then 18 months and beyond that, mm. to go back there for your friends is interrupting life again. Yeah, Because yeah. it's going, oh, crikey, I'm going to have to ask him about. <laughs> you know, I just, a friend of mine the other week, you know, just said to me, he said, you know, you, you're on a much more even keel now. It wasn't a question, it was a statement. <laughs> Because he was thinking, I ho- I want that to be true. I want that to be true. I want that to because be true. Because then I feel comfortable and yeah. I don't have to worry about you. I don't know. I can t- put you off the list of worry. You're fine now. You're fine. I can add someone new to the list. In my head, I was raging. Of course. But I didn't say anything, I thought, because I don't want to have another sort of disagreement. Yeah. Um, yeah you know what I, I think I struggle with now is that one of the difficult areas, I think, of grief is is how relationships and friendships are changed by it absolutely and, and they, they and they fundamentally have to be because i think yeah. massive has happened yeah. yeah and i think what sometimes happens particularly when grief is visited very suddenly on people or it comes at the wrong time in life uh, and it's very hard for people to deal with because you know when we did that Marie curie event yeah. i made the point that if if we die at a ripe old age and we've had what most people would deem to be a good life and mm. we've ticked as many of the life boxes as we can, we know how to talk to someone who's lost oh, that person yeah, much more yeah. because we have a reference point because we expect it. Mm. Good innings, good life, what yeah. a great life they had. I'm so sorry, but what you know, what a great life they mm. had. You can't say that to me as I walk back into school that morning. <laughs> no. You cannot. What the hell do you say? Yeah. There's really very limited amount you can say. And so people did sometimes get it wrong and, and I was... I was the most broken, painful place I've ever been. So I'm going to react in irrational ways and fire off at people and sometimes put a post up on social media that was very kind of hurtful for my friends to see. I was an absolute mess. And I try and say in the book that, you know, what's really important when, you, when you're trying to support someone going through something like mm. this, you are dealing with your friend or your sister, your brother, whoever it might be. They are the most broken they've ever been and hopefully ever will be. They've literally been snapped in two and every single emotion is flowing out of them all at the same time in a whole variety of different ways. And it's going to be really, really uncomfortable to be around. You're going to have to get your hands dirty. But whatever you do, whatever you do, don't take it personally. Because this isn't about you. It's about the pain that is raging inside them Mm. that will sometimes feel like they are coming at you, that you can't get it right. As I did say to my friends, you can't understand this. You haven't lost your wife. You haven't lost your husband. Don't you even go there trying to tell me that I should be feeling this today. You you do not understand. That was my common phrase. You don't understand. But of course, how can they? Yeah, they can't. But I think 
the danger is when you're trying to support someone going through something like this is that you do take it personally. Mm. And then you will get to that point where you go, I can't be around this anymore. And I say to people, try not, difficult though it is not to take it personally. And if you're finding that for a time too much, step away, maybe for a couple of days, just say, I'm, mm. I need to take myself away from this for a bit. Because you can always come back. You can come back. You can come but, back when you're ready and you're stronger yeah. and you're in a good place. I yeah. just felt that there, there's that it's almost undeclared gravitational pull mm. that after a while turns, starts to draw people away from you. And and I think some of my friends found it difficult that, that new friends came into my life. Yeah. And it felt, I guess, to them like they were being replaced. And again, I didn't mean to come back to the book all the time, but this, this was a hard chapter to write, so I thought it was really important to write about why I think relationships change mm. and trying to help people understand a bit more about how you might be able to get around someone without it totally sort of knocking you for six so you can't be of any use to them anymore. But the reason why a handful of people became such good friends so quickly is quite simply this. What I only came to realise in months after Gemma went is that when that bomb went off mm. on that day in November in 2017, yes, Ethan and I were at the epicentre because our everyday life has been transformed, changed forever. And then around that were Gemma's family, my family, then my closest friends, our closest friends. That bomb blast reverberated out from that central blast point. Mm. You can't at the time see the impact that has on your family, your friends. They're yeah. all trying to support you two because you've been hurt the most by it. You've been injured the most mm. by it. But the reverberations of grief went oh, out far beyond very us. Very far, very far. And you can't see that mm. at the time. And now I can. And... That's why I think new people were able to help me in a way my friends couldn't. They were not being replaced. But what these people didn't have to deal with was coping with their own sadness and grief at losing Gemma, Gemma yeah. as well as trying to support me. Yeah. And, and while they empathised hugely with losing Gemma, they could get alongside me, be in our house that didn't make them feel uncomfortable because they mm. think, I remember being here with Gemma and Simon and Ethan. Now yeah. she's gone. I find it really difficult. There were none of those things. Mm. So they didn't replace. They came alongside in the way our friends have been alongside us. And it's just... And that will evolve again. You know what, that will evolve so. again. Yeah. It will, it does. And those friends, you reform that relationship and you have to reform it without Gemma. Yeah, and exactly. And that's, that's not always a simple process. No. And that has to, that takes time and, and everybody kind of adjusting to that. And, you know, and then, and the ones that want to, and if you want them to, yeah. it does. They yeah. come back and they stay. And the ones that it doesn't, it's like, oh, it just wasn't meant to be for yeah. what's happened. Yeah. But uh, Simon, she sounds like such a lovely, awesome woman. Yeah, and it's she been, was. It's been so nice to talk about Gemma today. Yeah. It's been really lovely, and thank you so much. I've loved it. You can follow Simon on Twitter at Simon Thomas Sky and Instagram at Simon J Thomas Sky. His book Love Interrupted about his grief journey is out now. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios, and the music was provided by the Glue Ensemble. And remember, you are not alone. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.